Good morning. It's a joy to be with you here on this first Sunday of Advent where we uh, hope for the coming of Christ. Um, Hillary and I this year purchased season tickets to the Tennessee Performing Arts Center up in Nashville. And, and one of the main reasons why we uh, bought those season tickets is because there were a couple of musicals that we were really interested in seeing, and we wanted to make sure that we were able to get tickets for those musicals. You might have heard of them, uh, Hamilton or Hades Town, and, and so we've been going to these shows and, and really, really enjoying them, and as, as I was reading through these first few chapters of Luke's Gospel in preparation for this season of Advent, where we prepare our minds and hearts for the many ways that Christ comes, it occurred to me as I was reading through the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke, it is a lot like a musical. There is some dialogue that takes place to be sure, but then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the characters just burst forth in song throughout the first several chapters of Luke's Gospel. And so I thought, why not during this season of Advent, uh, create a sermon series centered around these songs. And, and in homage to the creativity that I've seen at TPAC, I decided to call this sermon series the Songs of Advent. Really creative, right? Uh, so the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today is Luke chapter 1, 46-56. And to further demonstrate my creativity, I decided to call today's sermon, Mary's Song. Really, really creative, right? Well, before we get into that song, maybe it's important for us to spend a little bit of time thinking about Mary and reminding ourselves of her story. Now, most Jewish historians and biblical scholars now agree that Mary was likely about 14 years of age whenever she became engaged to marry Joseph. A good guy. I'm guessing that after he got down on one knee and proposed to Mary, and after she said yes, she immediately began working on her wedding website. She probably immediately started her registry at Bed Bath & Beyond and Target and Amazon.com. I'm guessing that it didn't take long for Mary to say yes to the dress. I'm guessing that it didn't take Mary long to begin thinking about the vows that she would write to Joseph and encouraging him to get an early start on the vows that he would say to her. I'm guessing that maybe they even had a vision of where they would spend their honeymoon. It would be the best honeymoon ever. But then God interrupted God interrupted her agenda. God interrupted her dreams. God interrupted her plans. God interrupted everything that Mary had likely thought that her wedding, uh, her engagement and her wedding would be. God interrupted her life. I wonder, has God ever interrupted your life? 
I'm guessing that the answer is yes for every single one of us. I can think of uh, countless instances in my life where I'm pretty sure that it was God who interrupted my best plans, my own agenda, my own future, my own desires. I was thinking about one of those interruptions this past week. You know, I'm an Ole Miss Rebel fan, and it appeared all but a foregone conclusion that we were going to be in the market for a brand new football coach because Lane Kiffin was about to Tennessee us. Just up and leave. And so I got to thinking about that that, okay, how many coaching searches have I been through? since I've been an Ole Miss fan. You see, this was not my plan to go to Ole Miss. As much as I love that place now, when I was a high school senior, believe it or not, I was planning to go to the University of Alabama. I know. Lord have mercy. I was sure that I was going to go to Alabama. I'd been accepted to Alabama. I'd toured the campus at Alabama. I couldn't wait to go to Alabama. And then a friend invited me to go to Ole Miss. And I've shared this story with you before from the pulpit, but I'll share it again in a quick way. I was just walking around that campus while my friend was visiting an advisor. And I walked into this building and they said, are you here to audition? And I said, audition for what? And they said, for a theater scholarship. And I said, what do you got to do? They said, well, you have to do a comedic monologue, you have to do a dramatic monologue, and you have to sing a song. And I said, okay, I'll do it. I did it, and I got a theater scholarship to go to Ole Miss. God had interrupted my dreams of going to Alabama, and now I'm going to Ole Miss. And the reason why I was thinking about that last year, uh, last week, is because if we were going to be in the market for a new head coach, it was going to be the eighth head coach since I've been an Ole Miss fan. During that time, Alabama has won seven national championships. Thanks for the interruption, God. Really. I'm really glad you did. That's what's happened to Mary. She's had all of these dreams about what her wedding and engagement is going to be like and what her life is going to be like after she's married. And then all of a sudden, God shows up through an angel and interrupts her plans. God says to her that uh, through this angel that my favor is upon you. And Mary can't figure out how in the world that could be possible. She's a poor girl from a poor town. She's insignificant. Nobody knows about her. Nobody cares about her. How in the world is there any evidence whatsoever that God's favor is upon this young girl? How can it be? Is what Mary asked the angel. And the angel replied by saying, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And you, through the power of that Holy Spirit, are going to become pregnant. And the child that you will carry in your belly is a holy child. It is the Messiah. The long-awaited Messiah. That child is going to be special. I hope you don't miss the fact that it would have been a whole lot easier for Mary to say yes to the dress than it would be for her to say yes to God's plan. God's 
interruption. Because you see, to be pregnant in Mary's day outside of wedlock was punishable by death. Death by stoning. So not only by allowing this, being a part of this interruption of God, is she going to risk her life. She's also going to risk her reputation. I mean, can you imagine the conversation when she goes home to tell her parents, you might want to sit down for this, mom and dad. Um, I'm pregnant. No, it's, it's not Joseph's, <laughs> believe it or not. No, it's actually God's. <laughs> can you imagine how that would go over? Can you imagine the conversation that she'd have with Joseph? Hey, Joseph, a little thing you should probably be aware of. We may have to go get the wedding dress resized because I'm pregnant. I know it's not yours, Joseph, but it's God's. Don't worry about it. It would have been really hard to, to willingly consent to being a part of this interruption of God, this, this changing of the agenda, the changing of her plans, and yet Mary said Yes. And I'm imagining that after Mary said yes, she quickly realized the full weight of what it meant to say yes and to be a part of what God was doing. It almost instantly meant that she was marginalized. It almost instantly meant that she was being ridiculed. Uh, she probably couldn't even log on to social media because somebody was writing some sort of story about her. People were probably talking about her, not only to her face, but behind her back. She probably was receiving all sorts of stares and glares and comments. And I'm wondering if that's why she decided to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth for a while, just to get away from all of the gossip, from all of the rumors, from all of the stares, from all of the glares. And when she arrives at her cousin Elizabeth's house, if she didn't know it before then, she now knows that her cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant and that the circumstances around Elizabeth's pregnancy are every bit as strange and unusual as they are for Mary's pregnancy. Because Elizabeth is pregnant even though she is well on up there in age, past the time when most women would have been able to bear a child. But the child that Elizabeth is carrying is no less the movement of God, a gift from God. And, and so when this young woman who's pregnant despite not being married, and this young woman who is this woman who is pregnant despite being well up in age, when they see each other and when they embrace, those jumping Johns just started. We're told that John the Baptist just began to leap in Elizabeth's womb. And we're told that the, the baby leaping in Elizabeth's womb became confirmation and affirmation not only to Elizabeth, but also to Mary that the child she was carrying was of God and that, that she was wise to say yes, that God's favor was in fact upon this poor peasant girl. And what did Mary do? She broke out in song. 
This morning, in the time that I have left, I would like to lift up for you two of the themes that are a part of Mary's song. The first thing that I would like to highlight for you is that, that is important in Mary's song is the theme of mercy. The theme of mercy. Now, one of the things that you may or may not know about uh, uh, Jewish uh, poetry, Hebrew poetry, or hymnology uh, is that uh, they will say something, and then if it's really important, they will say it again, but they will just change the words just a little bit so that you get a sense of, hey, this is really important. I'm going to say it in a little different way, but pay attention. And that happens all throughout this song that Mary sings. It's evidence in the first verse of her song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And then as if to reiterate that in a different way, she immediately says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then she goes on to talk about mercy in a couple of different verses. First of all, in verse 50, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. And then again in 54, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about mercy, but I think about the mercy rule in sports. If you've got a child that plays in some sort of athletic league, there is a rule in that league in all likelihood that if one team ends up just pouncing on the other and pummeling the other and destroying the other, at some point they say, we have got to relieve this poor team from their pain. And we're just going to call the game off. And we call that the mercy rule. Now, some of you may remember the game that we played as kids where you would interlock your fingers with somebody else's fingers and then you would try to twist each other's hands and fingers around until you hurt the other person so badly that they would scream out, Mercy! Or some of us said, Uncle! But it was a way of saying, I am hurting. Please stop this pain. And, and, and that's a sense of what mercy is in Scripture. Mercy is the relieving of a person or a situation's pain. And so when Mary acknowledges that God is a God of mercy, it's a way of her saying that God is seeking to eliminate and relieve the pain that, that, that so often comes with the way life happens. And yet, there are many people in the world today that believe that, that, that God is that, like that team that just pummels the other team. Or that God is like the one who just keeps twisting your fingers and your arms and inflicting the pain. I want to suggest to you that that's not the God that I uh, see in the overarching theme of Scripture. I believe that God is a God of mercy, but I believe that so much of the pain that you and I experience in the world today is the result of uh, our own poor choices and of the sin that exists in the world. I don't subscribe to a God that's just sitting there trying to bring you to your knees in some sort of pain just so that you'll cry out for God. But I do believe that God's mercy, that God desires to share that mercy with us when we need it. 
And, and I believe that mercy is synonymous with the word love. In fact, I read a, a, an author, Rich Velotis, one time, and this is the way he described mercy. I, I could never remember this, so I had to write it down. Mercy is the consistent, ever-faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained love of God. And when God offers mercy the way that Mary says God offers mercy, that's what God is offering. The consistent, ever-faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained love of God. Now, aren't you glad that that kind of mercy is available to you and to me? I know I am. I know I'm in need of mercy. I was reminded of it when I made a recent trip to Atlanta a few weeks ago. If you haven't been to Atlanta in the last couple of years, you might not know that when you're coming back, when you're on I-75 and you're trying to get on I-24, you used to exit to the left, and now they've changed that exit completely, and you have to exit to the right. And if you've been traveling to Atlanta as much through the years as I have, you just kind of become a creature of habit. So I'm in that left side waiting to get into the left lane to get on 24 to come back home, and I realize that they've changed the exit up, and so now I need to get in the far right-hand lane and so I'm trying as best I can. I've got my blinker on. I'm kind of waving at people like, can you let me get through? Can you let me get through? And everybody's looking at me like, nope. 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 And I'm like trying to get through and nobody's letting me through. And finally I find this one soul that just lets me, says, alright, come on in. You're from Tennessee, I know. And I experienced mercy. Aren't you glad that when we need God's mercy, that God isn't saying, nope, nope, nope. God says, all right, come on in. Get in the lane. There's another thing that Mary describes in her song, and that theme is justice. Mary says that God's justice is coming. And when most of us think about justice, we think about, you know, something bad happened, you're going to get your just desserts. But I would like to just kind of reframe that. That, that is a definition of justice. There's no denying it. But I, I would like to invite you to think about justice uh, in, in God's eyes as being writing of what's wrong. Taking what is wrong and making it right. Taking what has been broken and restoring it to wholeness. And God's justice may happen in this life. But even if it doesn't happen in this life, God promises that all will be made right in the next life. That God is about making all things new. Mary wants us to be reminded of that mercy, that indescribable love of God 
that is available to all of us. And Mary wants us to know that there will come a day, whether it's in this life or the next, when God will make all things new. Mary's song then is about, regardless of the sin in our lives, God's mercy is always deeper than that sin. And, God, and Mary's point is this song is that God is always going to be working towards making all things new. That's a part of Mary's song. Interestingly enough, Augustine once said that when you sing, it's actually the equivalent of praying twice. So Mary's song is like a prayer prayed twice. And the invitation that I extend to you today is to make this your song. Make this your double prayer. Thanking God for God's mercy and anticipating the promise of God's justice.